Hi, I'm Dale Sherbeck, and welcome to the HQ, a CHA Learning and Healthcare Can podcast serial where we dive into healthcare issues and topics from the perspective of its people and discuss them with those that are leading in the health system. Together, we'll try to unpack these topics and learn what actions are being taken to innovatively solve them today. I'm pleased to continue our series on EDI, exploring different perspectives and strategies as we look for ways to foster an entirely inclusive healthcare system for all. Today, we're going to continue the conversation around gender and sexuality and bring in another voice. And I'll admit, and perhaps I should have done so more clearly when I raised this conversation with Beverly Pomeroy previously, that these conversations present a challenge for me, not because I don't share the values and a call for inclusion and change, but because I myself am still very much learning about the dual continuums of gender and sexuality and how they overlap and diverge. And so my questions very much come from a genuine place of wanting to understand. So yes, I admit I'm experiencing some discomfort because I'm honestly afraid I'm going to say or ask the wrong thing. But in preparing for this conversation, I also reflected that discomfort is a key entry point because I think we all need to accept being uncomfortable as we examine our beliefs, our biases, and our language, especially if it can lead to positive change. One of those words is transgender, a topic which is currently fueling so much fear, even hatred, all of which frightens me. So I can't imagine what it's like for those for whom this isn't a college course or a hypothetical conversation, but rather very much a topic of being, of life and living. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus is often misquoted as having said that the only constant in life is change. Though it seems he was more likely saying that things are always changing and that more accurately, you can never step into the same river twice. I like the thought and the image that comes with this, especially in the context of today's conversation, because it describes how so much of life is like a river and indeed fluid, and very little is absolute. And yet, for all the absoluteness of change, a great many fear it, even while others claim or need it as in a change to cross or to transit. So today, I ask that each of us opens ourselves to being a bit more uncomfortable as we open ourselves to creating a safe, comfortable place for all, including those who don't identify as cisgender, who don't identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth, and for those who identify as transgender. How does or how doesn't our health system include and support them? To have this important conversation, I'm very grateful to be joined by Jake Starrett-Farr. Jake is a social worker and a counselor and works as often as he can with interprofessional primary care teams in Ontario to support a wraparound care for transgender people. As a trans person himself, he is dedicated to supporting trans and gender expansive individuals and is passionate about helping healthcare providers better understand the unique health needs of the 2SLGBTQI community. As a member of the CMA's Patient Voice, Jake advocates for timely and equitable access to transgender care. Hi, Jake, and welcome to the HQ. Thank you very much for having me today. Uh, and thanks for coming onto the podcast today to have this conversation and help me and others understand the issues from different perspectives. Um, so, Jake, as I said at the outset, I was certainly very sensitive to having this conversation with you today from my own narrow perspective. I'm not an expert in this, nor do I claim the lived experience of you or many others. 
So perhaps if you're comfortable, may I ask you to frame the context of this conversation today around gender and sexuality and how the current health system as you know it serves and supports a transgender community. Yeah, thank you very much for <clears throat> having me today. So, you know, again, I want to reflect on, you know, today I bring only my lens to this situation and only from my experiences and then from my experiences of working with folks. So um, I want to just be mindful that whatever I'm speaking of today is, is from my gathered experiences as personal and from, from those who I, you know, support. So when you're asking me about what is the healthcare system doing um, to support, um, I think there is some changes um, that I'm seeing more of. I'm seeing more um, practitioners, be that doctors, nurse practitioners, or specialists, uh, wanting to understand more, wanting to come forward, um, even a little bit interested, maybe perhaps not so like standoffish as, and I don't mean that in a rude way, but in a sense mm -hmm. of like, oh, I don't know this stuff. So um, I'm starting to see a little bit more shift. I'm seeing um, some more engagement of people even thinking that they would maybe think about understanding what they might have to relearn or unlearn um, in order to provide services for folks who are transgender. And what more do you think still needs to be done, I guess, in that space? Wow. Well, you know, that's a big social sort of space. So there's uh, one space that we have to be mindful around um, people's lenses that they come with, right? So if we're looking from people from different sort of backgrounds, whether that be religious, cultural, those types of things, um, they might bring forward those beliefs or feelings about um, folks that are, um, you know, are transgender or non-binary folks. And, um, you know, so we have to be mindful of that, but I think our biggest key is we really need to go back and revamp our education system mm -hmm. for, um, you know, anybody that's coming into the field of healthcare. And that can be anything from a social worker uh, through doctors, surgeons, all those things to have them be, um, get more time to understand um, that there's a large presence of folks who belong to a community that need support. And I think there's, there's a real gap in the amount of education that they're given um, for them to have the time to understand it. I mean, I recognize they, they learn a lot in their number of years that they're in education, but there is a, a space in there that, that this conversation can be part of every conversation. Um, everything that they learn can also be like, well, what about folks that aren't, you know, typical, right? Um, into what's in the in the book. So I think there's a big gap in that. So maybe to help, you know, you know, set the stage for this and and make it a bit less abstract, perhaps. Um, can you sort of help me and our listeners sort of see, um, you know, what it might be like, or as it relates to the experience of the transgender community um, as you would sort of interact with the health system or a health service provider? What are some of those obstacles or perceptions that you might be experiencing? Sure. So not everyone, but a lot of folks will go to their, you know, the, as they come into being of who they are, right? So whatever that looks like for them within their gender or their sexuality. And if we're really going to speak about um, care for today about transgender folks, it's, you know, they go to their, maybe their provider, their primary provider they've had for years and they say, hey, you know, this is how I'm feeling. This is who I am. Um, I like support. And often, uh, again, not all, but oftentimes the, the practitioner does not understand and goes, oh, okay, I'm going to like refer you. 
So, um, you know, so if I went there with, you know, I don't know, high blood pressure, the doctor wouldn't say, oh, I, I don't know about that. I'm, I, you know, I'm going to refer you on because they've been taught and they understand this. When it comes to the care of um, transgender folks, and I'm going to be including just, you know, um, I want to make clear that for folks out there that I'm including non-binary under transgender care, um, okay. is that, um, <clears throat> you know, that oftentimes then they get pushed aside. So now they lose their primary practitioner. They get put on, they have to, sometimes their primary practitioner doesn't even know where to send them. Um, so they send them to places that aren't really available. Um, long lineups ensue because now we have to get on a specialist list or an endocrinologist list or some other list. And so, um, and then there's a space that people feel like, oh, you know, my doctor doesn't care for me um, or my practitioner doesn't care for me. And they don't even want to do the work to do that. Um, so it feels like you are less than that something is wrong with you. And so there's can be a lot of feelings involved in that when you go to your primary care person and they go, oh, sorry, you'll have to go someplace else. And, um, you know, I've experienced that firsthand. I had a doctor of 20 years. And when I went there and I was like, hey, this is what's happening for me. They said, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't do that. And I was like, but wait, I, I've got information. We could do this together. And like, no, I'm not interested. You'll have to find somebody else. So, you know, and so where do you sit with that as, as a patient, right? Um, and I think there's a space in there that it seems to be like this, uh, I'm just going to say the word, it's like, like a voodoo magic thing. It's like, oh, if we're going to treat trans people, it's like, oh, this is way too much. And I think if we can break that down for practitioners into like, it's really, if they want, if they need to medicalize it, there's, there is, there is a lot of support out there on how to do this work. And I think what I'm sort of hearing from you as well is that for individuals who are already feeling somewhat isolated, um, you know, alone, shamed, confused, and then you interact with the health system where you're looking for support, you experience some of those same sort of uh, experiences. It just it, it emphasizes them or perhaps makes them even more exponentially difficult. Yeah, for sure. So you know, so the world isn't, you know, always the kindest place. So when you're, you know, when you're not typical, let's just say like, you know, the world expects you to be cisgender, right? Um, and that you match your sex at birth that you were given and, and heterosexual, that's kind of what people still expect. And when you aren't that, um, whatever spectrum, uh, now you have to do the coming out phase, which is interestingly enough in itself. And so when you do that, you're, you're hoping that your vulnerability will be accepted and 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 um, supported, especially in a space of professionalism, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can't always control our families, but I mean, we kind of expect our professionals to support us and to know and to want to do that. And I think that's, yes, you're right. So then what it does is, again, so someone who's already maybe feeling isolated goes to someone who we think we should trust and care. Uh, and care for us. And then we're like, oh, no, by the way, I can't do that. So it does. It adds now another level of that isolation. So do you think it's fair to say that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, Jake, but but there's an element of, of trauma that's happening through this as well, or um, of hurt? Yes. So again, you know, like uh, I'm going to say not everybody gets that, but there's a vast number of people that when you get rejected, that is like a, it is a hit. It's a hit to your, your soul. It's a hit to your, your, your space about you. It's like, is it like telling you that maybe you aren't real? Maybe this is something weird. Um, so there is uh, trauma. And, and when we do that, then people start, start to avoid going to see their professionals. Um, they start looking for alternative ways 
to get where they want to go, um, you know, doing their own sort of hormones or whatever that needs to be done. And um, yeah, so I think, I think there is some trauma that happens with that uh, when you get rejected. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, I think, you know, going through my own interactions with the healthcare system, you know, when you're having to disrobe or get, you know, become very intimate in that space, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of your gender or your sexuality, it's, it is a place of high degree of being vulnerable and, and literally naked. Um, right. So, you know, we all go through periods of judgment or, or just feeling very, very uncomfortable in that. So I can imagine that in the context where there's other things that are being revealed in that space, that that becomes even even harder. Absolutely, 100%, you're right. Um, there are, and I think it goes back again to, there's a bit of like maybe unlearning um, and a little bit softer space for um, medical providers because we I recognize that they get, they get um, they are who they are. I mean, that's, 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 you know, we, our medical providers are certain personalities and, and they go in, they get taught. And so they become very much that they look at the body as a vessel for everybody. And like, you know, if there's something wrong, we're going to fix that. And I think there's a space in them for them to revamp and kind of unlearn that and put that into a space of like, um, going back to that compassion, right? Like asking everybody, you know, I understand that this may be a little bit uncomfortable for me to look at your body, but, you know, this is the reason why I need to do that, right? Um, and, you know, and all those types of things. And, and I'm not saying that doctors or practitioners aren't using consent, but there's sometimes a space in there to be like, there's just an assumption that if you're going to go get something done, you're, they're just going to start poking you and, and it's like expected. And I think that, yeah, that the whole thing needs to take a step back, but especially for someone who is of a trans identity, um, that their body may not feel connected to them. And now people are touching it. It's like, Ooh, that's a lot to go on. Um, and we find that. So we know, you know, going to emergencies, like, you know, you get hurt and you go to an emergency and now it's like, you know, maybe you don't really want to out yourself, but then all of a sudden you got people like outing you at the emergency and it's, it's kind of difficult. Right. And um, sometimes our body parts that we were born with have to get treated different in a medical situation. Um, And um, it it just, it really goes back to that compassionate care um, that I think that one, we don't allow our practitioners to have because they don't have time. And, you know, that kind of like that rush to fix, right. Rather than hear and listen to what your, what your patient is saying. So I think you've alluded to a little bit of this already, certainly around the the need for education, but but sort of extending from there, you know, what are the, I guess, structural gaps that you might see within the system itself that continue to sort of do harm or or not create space that that is inclusive? Yeah, and you know, I think. I think really, truly, it's about it, it does stem from education, but not just like giving someone information, but um, helping our providers, all of them understand that um, that this is a, a softer side of medicine. Right. And that there's a space in there that like there's that, you know, that 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 oath of like do no harm. But there's a space in there that if you don't do anything, you could be doing harm. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, that whole like, oh, I, I don't do this sort of thing. Um, so. As far as systemic things, you know, being that there's not enough practitioners who are willing yet yet to engage um, and, and surgeons who are not yet willing to engage in this work and organizations that are still working on it, 
it puts up a big systemic barrier for folks of different um, gender identities other than those who are cisgender. And um, I think it's a, it's a big tall order, but I think it can be done. Um, and I think it can be done well because there's a space in there. Remember like, when I go to somebody, I'm expecting them to know, right? But what I take back as a, as a provider and I look at it as like, how do we expect a, a physician or like a practitioner to support us if they're not even getting the information and the and the um, the support that they need in order to understand this, right? So you know, there's a bit of a space I do feel like um, that there's a lack of support for our providers that they're not getting the information that they need in order to be a good practitioner to their patients. And I guess so. Where do you think that I guess should be placed or included? I mean, does it happen within? like in the case you've been talking about sort of the the medical the physician sort of community does it happen within our med schools does it happen before they go to med school does it happen um in some other kind of professional training or, or where do you see that sort of being most appropriate or where does your community sort of have discussions around that yeah so you know great question so you know i think as we see all the generations growing and and coming through i mean they know a lot more than you know you and i do <laughs> at mm-hmm. their age um and so there's that already that kind of like uh development that's coming up through um, the medical professions and, and and provider professions or health professions and absolutely it has to be done in the educational system and I, it, one day does not serve purpose because that's an in and an out and off we go. And I think what we have to start looking at is our, our system being putting in, you know, case scenarios when, you know, when they're working on case scenarios, ensuring that they're um, providing them with, you know, case histories around folks who are gender expansive in some way or are mm-hmm. not just, you know, heterosexual and, and having them really do the, the, you know, so here's someone who needs uh, I don't know, like a, like a hysterectomy, but they aren't, uh, they do not identify as a female, but like, how do they work through that and help them gain that knowledge, not just be like, oh, here's a hysterectomy and this is what you got to do sort of thing, right? And so I think there's that space of like, it has to kind of be enveloped into the whole system. Um, you know, again, a lot along with other things with like, um, you know, mental health and, and, and folks with like neurodivergence, like having that system really revamped to take into account for all those things, which would be including gender. And then uh, there is a lot of training out there for doctors but and, and practitioners, but again, we have everybody working at such a high capacity. When do they have time to take an extra class when they really need to take it on like the newest thing of like, you know, um, hypertension? Uh, like, you know, there's, there's these spaces that there's kind of like the triage that they have to do, right? Yeah. And so I think there's that space in there that like, I think there's some doctors, like I said, really want to, but they don't have time. Yeah, so it's about treating it as a priority, I guess, is part of what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah and I and I do. I, I think I can certainly relate that for new healthcare professionals coming into the system who've been educated through our, you know, our our current education systems, primary, secondary systems, right? The there's probably a lot more discussions around topics like this and more inclusion, right? My son's right being educated to right transgender and and gender and other sexual orientations as part of his he hasn't even hit puberty, right? So um, and then I sort of liken that to my own experience as a as a child, right? where we didn't talk about anything like that. I, I never knew those words until I was certainly an adult. 
Um, right. And so there's, I guess there's two sets of healthcare professionals and that are coming into the system right now are ones that are perhaps more open-minded and, and accepting and where some of this stuff isn't even a question. And then there's, you know, those that are in their forties, fifties or, or older, um, having to make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, there is a space in there. I think we're all, that's, you know, change is possible because, uh, let's say a practitioner of any sort, like a health practitioner of any sort, when they entered into the field, maybe they were like, I don't know, 25, 30 years old, and maybe now they're 50, that's 20 years. I am sure that they have changed some of their ways and some of the things that they do or like medications that they, you know, provide to people or whatever has changed over time. And so it just becomes around now, it's like, well, what is what is the barrier for you around this, right? I mean, you know, looking at some of the recent statistics, it's like, you know, 39% of our, you know, youth across the country on a research identify somewhere in the in the queer community, if I may say, or the pride community. Like, it's not just, you know, a little bit. I mean, not everybody is transgender, not everybody. They somehow, whether they're asexual or bisexual, all those things, 39% of these youth from 12 to 24 are identifying. This is a thing now. Like, we're starting to get proper sort of, like, you know, documentation. So this is where, you know, I think practitioners just even need to put that in their head. They're going to come in contact with this. Why don't they want to give their best service? Yeah, and certainly engage in a conversation about that. But I, I guess part of going back to your, your discussion about the person in the ER, right, or the pictures you've painted around, you know, gender and sexual organs, I guess, for lack of another term, um, you know, I think part of what you're describing is that there's this non-binary quality to what you're describing in the structure of a binary system. Um, so is that, I mean, am I capturing that correctly or? <laughs> there's non-binary <laughs> people, right? So listen, so when we look at, when we look at um, gender and if we're talking about, let's say like th- there's a spectrum, like, because our world, um, from colonization has like have basically said there is like male, female, you know, man, woman, that's it. Um, and then they started adding the other, which other is, you know, pretty demeaning. And so, you know, we really look at gender and we, we start to demedicalize it because it doesn't, it isn't medicalized, right? Your sex at birth right now, that's the going by basically your reproductive parts and they decide what sex you are at birth, but your gender is who you are inside. Like it's, it's how you feel about yourself. Um, and, and people medicalize it because in order to make shifts to our, our shells of our bodies, we have to medicalize it to get that part, but it's really not. It's like how someone feels about it. So, you know, um, some folks who are trans, um, are, you know, really identify with the binary and then some are done and there's all this thing in the middle, and so, you know, it's confusing to folks who never have to, I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy. Like, it's not even easy for me sometimes, you know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, I think that's the thing is like, we all have to have this space to be to be able to be okay with each other going, oh, I can ask a nice question, right? Um, and and be responsible, be respectful. And, and I think that's the key is like, you know, I don't even understand all the, um, the gender spectrum. I mean, I understand that there is, but I'm, when someone says to me, oh, I'm non-binary. I'm gender fluid. My first question is like, okay, so tell me what that means to you mm-hmm. so I can understand, right? And so it is difficult, but when we can just learn to be like, 
okay, so where do we roll with this, right? I don't have to place somebody in a binary setting unless they tell me that's how they do it. Yeah, so you're asking a person to really identify who they are and how they want to be treated as opposed to a per, per, how a person presents perhaps, right? And saying, this is who you are um, and this is how I will treat you because of that. Um, and I guess coming back to my question before is, I think so much of the health system, right, in that triaging perspective, right, is going through a diagnostic as, you know, the person in front of me, male, woman, how old are they, right? And, and yeah. based on those simple qualifications, will determine how they start the treatment process with them. But I think what you're suggesting is that that needs to start earlier, or, or the other questions need to start before that. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, emergency is emergency. I mean, you're coming in from a car accident, people are good. But oftentimes, we're really not talking about reproductive parts when we're talking about emergencies, like, right, like when you're going to the emergency room, it's, I mean, you may have internal damages, but I mean, if they're going into, they're going to take an extra, they're going to see what's inside, like, there's no reason to like, you know, have that space of like wondering what that is, because it's, you know, it, it's going to be found out what you have inside, and that's got nothing to do with who you are. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, people sometimes don't have fingers. So, you know, we all have different things going on with this. Doesn't mean of who I am. Right. And it is. So the, the the space comes in, maybe not so much an emergency situation, but maybe you go to access the emergency and like, I don't know, maybe you have a broken arm. And things that I've heard people say is like, as soon as they find out that, um, you know, when their ID say doesn't match who they what they look like. Um, and then it's like, oh, so you're trans. It's like, well, you know, maybe your hormones had you break your, like, you know, it's like, it comes down to like, like the process of who you are is now what's wrong with you. And it has clearly nothing to do with what's going on. Right. Like if I go in with this really sore stomach, it's like, well, maybe, maybe your hormones are doing that. I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? Right. So this is that, that space where we have to undo that and unlearn that in our brain, just unlearn it. Yeah, and and a challenge, you know, after decades of learning in other sort of ways. Um, but I think you're you're helping. I think frame this for me at least. So I appreciate that. Um, do you recognize other things that are being done to sort of change? I guess that close the gaps that we've sort of been talking about. Um, things that are positively happening that you would say, you know, keep doing that, or things that you've seen within your own particular you know, health system or organizations you've interacted with? Yeah. Yeah, there is. I mean, you know, uh, luckily, um, there are some great um, interprofessional care teams that are that are uh, expanding and growing. And so within them, oftentimes, there is um, the, um, the one person who will then work with other providers in the area. So like where I am, there is a particular uh, nurse practitioner who does great work. And instead of bringing people in from another practice, the doctor or the nurse practitioner from that practice can get support and keep that person in place. And so now we're expanding like where well, there's 20 or 30 doctors in our area who now are learning how to do to you know, support trans people and you know what what their needs are and and how to like you know find them the resources they need or or if they do decide to to use hormones of some sort, how to do that, and so we're seeing that expansion, right? So instead of where we have this really compression where people are like, oh, let's let's go to like just go to a specialist, I don't want to deal with you, 
there's now this new, like a better expansion where, you know, one provider is providing services to, to patients, but also being able to support other providers in the area. I think that is like a phenomenal uh, way to do this um, mm-hmm. that, that can grow. Like that's, it's, you know, it, it, it's a, it's easy. They don't have to like go to like a three-day seminar. It's like something that they can talk through. I mean, we have things like Rainbow Health Ontario um, that that offer like a call-in twice a month mentorship program that, you know, if you're you're a physician or nurse practitioner or anybody that's providing sort of care or social workers, you can call and be like, hey, I have this patient I'm or a client I'm working with. Like, I'm not sure what to do here. So it's really like, so it's an opportunity. It's like over lunch, you can take your lunch and have this call. So th- there's some really great spaces that are coming that are not making people have to, um, you know, go like do something outside of their normal sort of practice or whatever they're doing. It can be very, you know, neat and, to the, and tidy for them. Um, I think, you know, a number of years ago when they kind of undid that whole thing where you had to go through CAMH at the time, um, that opened up, you know, and, you know, but now what do we need to do is, you know, now look at like the other bottlenecks that are coming up, but we have opened up um, some, some nice spaces. And I think that we can keep growing that and perhaps, you know, take, take on that space of like, maybe we develop a, uh, a centralized system where doctors or pr- practitioners of any sort can call in and be like, Hey, I've got this patient. Um, they're wanting this service. How can I support them rather than let's send them away to a, you know, someone who's already overbooked. Right. So I guess one of the other things that I, I wonder about, um, I mean, both, I guess your own example, right. You, you openly identify as a transgender person um, as part of your own healthcare practice. Um, so how important is it that others within the health system identify or make it clear that like, you know, that there are transgender people or other people um, on the different uh, uh, continuum that they can relate to or see, or I, I'm not sure if, if I'm expressing that correctly, but. No, you are. I think you're right. You know what? I think for, for I'm going to say for a lot of minority groups, doesn't matter whether that's uh, what that looks like for, for minority groups it's really great to see yourself or be able to talk to someone who you don't have to explain like every depth of every sort of thing to them. Um, and it's nice to kind of like have that picture like, oh, wow, there's someone like me. Um, is it important? Yes. Um, do I expect all practitioners to be out? And, and no. Um, but I think it's a nice thing to, to be able to see. And I think that's part of the challenge is like, we often like, you know, we're having, you know, cisgender people medicalize transgender identities. And, you know, maybe perhaps if there was some more, you know, folks who identify in the community, it would become unmedicalized in a medicalized situation, right? Um, mm-hmm. It becomes about who you are and how you feel rather than the numbers on a piece of paper, right? Um, so I think it's very important. And I think that's a good question is like, why are there not more, you know, I'm going to say fully identified folks from the pride community in the medical system. Like, are they hiding? Are they there? Are they not being, you know, not going in because they get weeded out in the first year for hazing? I don't know what that looks like, but there seems to be a lack of them for sure. Yeah. Or I think, as you say, a, a lack that have been outed anyways, or have chosen to express them if, if they are there. Um, and surely, I mean, we must assume there are people from, um, the pride community, as you describe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, 
again, I, I know that you're a very passionate and active advocate for the transgender community, and you're often asked to bring your own patient voice and to the conversations. Um, and I'm conscious, however, that you're most definitely a healthcare professional as well. So again, coming back to that lens, what is it like to work within that health system? And what's your experience and what else might be need to be done within organizations for its employees who may not have, that we haven't discussed already? Yeah, well, it's, so it's a very large question. So yes, I am very passionate about it. And um, I think earlier on, I used to fight a lot with the like system, like, ah, it's just not broken, we got to fix it. And, and so I can still carry that I think there's a lot of places to go. But nowadays, I try to, um, you know, support people in understanding rather than telling them that they're doing it wrong, um, that they're not supporting instead of saying like, hey, like, you know, if you need my support, um, or would you like some resources? Or what, what does that look like? Or those kind of things. Um, then rather than saying, hey, you're doing it wrong, and you, you know, you should go get some education, right? And so I think there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, it is difficult to be, um, I'm going to say an openly, um, you know, queer trans person, um, because uh, you sometimes get narrowed down into uh, only supporting those folks. And that's not a bad thing, but you know, there's a, there's a space in there of like, um, mm -hmm. and it becomes overwhelming because all you're hearing is everything that's wrong. Um, so there, there's a space in that we have to do a lot of juggling in our brains to be like, okay, so what do we need to do here? And I think as far as like organizations, I mean, you know, they're starting to do the work, but I think it's just like any other work, right? Are you doing it because you want to, or are you doing it because you're told you're supposed to? And that's really that's when we know when people are doing the right work is when we actually see them make the changes. So, you know, it's like, and they're actively engaged in being honest about, um, you know, what, what their capacities are now and what their capacities could be rather than saying, okay, yeah, let's put everything, let's everybody have training. Well, it's like, that's great to have training, but what's the follow-up to that? And it's those organizations that are willing to do the follow-up um, check in with their staff. I don't care if it's a thousand staff or like 200 staff. It's like, okay, so we had the training and now what did you learn? Right. And, and I think that's the key because we can all check off boxes in our DEI work or EDI work. Right. But if we don't really follow up with folks to find out how do they engage with that internally, nothing's ever going to change and we're still going to be fighting it. Right. So I always offer people like, why don't you want to like, so what for you is holding you back from this, right? Mm -hmm. um, rather than being like, listen, you work here, you need to do this work and, and okay, we can do that, but that's not, doesn't feel very nice. But instead of saying, okay, talk, let's talk about all the things that's holding you back from moving forward in this space. And I think that's really has to come from the top because the community is, is tired, all, all minority communities are tired of saying, we're showing you where the gaps are, we're telling you what we're missing, and then you keep going, yay, come tell us more, but nothing ever gets done. It really has to come from the top down in every organization. There has to be a drive for the organization to want to do the work. Yeah, I, th I think you, you touch on a lot there, but I mean, I think that creating that openness, I think, for the conversations first and foremost, and right, and, and being, I guess, curious from all perspectives, right, as to what's getting in the way, right? Um, how can how can we help, or how can we work together? And yeah. right, um, instead of taking those adversarial positions, and I can certainly see that collaboration and and uh, you know collaboration or uh, collaboration and, and empathy in you and compassion for for all. Um, 
So I think you, you touch on something else there that I, I wanted to sort of maybe explore a little bit. Because um, you talk about like a lot of the different groups that we've been talking as part of our series on EDI. Um, and so it's just a conversation. Well, it's a question that I'm trying to explore with some of the different guests in this space and, and understand it. So I'm because I'm, I'm conscious that we're having a conversation about diversity. And certainly when we talk about you know, sexuality and gender, there are there are more points on the continuum than than we probably have letters, even though we've included quite a few already. Um, yet we talk almost in a kind of singularity of labels and definitions as we do so. Um, and you know, that we want the world and the health system to be open and equitable to all. Um, but we sort of are putting these labels at the same time about what that should look like and and you know how people should talk or um, about the difference somehow we should treat everyone the same. So I guess, how do we talk about diversity and I guess in a fair way, so talking about it from, um, you know, the transgender community on the one hand, you know, black people on the other hand, women, um, uh, you know, all the different groups that we, want to create a more sort of accepting space for, but do so in a way which doesn't, I guess, divide the conversation into 20 different conversations. Mm -hmm. Is that, I'm not sure if I'm making sense there. Yeah, I think, I think I kind of, I think I think we know. So, you know what? So we have to look at the privilege spectrum. Mm -hmm. That's the first place we have to start, right? So where are the privileges, right? I, and that's why I said at the beginning, I want to make sure like my lens comes from a very privileged um, space. I, I have full-time employment, I'm white, I'm male. I mean, I, I carry a lot, I'm able-bodied. I carry a lot of uh, privilege just for waking up in the morning and breathing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we have to recognize how that plays into the systems, right? In order to unpack all the stuff that we're trying to like actually investigate, which are what I'm going to say, like, you know, like, you know, like gender, significant gender spaces um and if we want to even just put it into like male female sort of space as far as like even previous and not not including the the trans uh portion but and and all those other spectrums like whether it's race culture religion um and, and those are spaces that we have to first unpack what the privileges are that are put in place um and and then look at it that's a bigger picture but you do have to sometimes identify communities because there are differences. And then there's the intersect, then you have to identify the intersections, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are a trans, um, I'm going to say a trans feminine person or trans woman who's of color, who is neurodivergent and has a physical disability, we have to look at the chain of what is privilege versus this person and how are we going to support them, right? So are they interconnected? Yes, but there's also a whole bunch of like individual things um, that go into that. So I don't know. I, I understand we don't want to like everybody's separate but there has to be the conversations on separate levels because otherwise then we just do the whole like everybody's equal and and that's not true we have to we want to make it equitable for people not just equal for people we want to make it equitable and some people need more in order to bring them up to the equal level so it's we're talking about equitability not just equitability right so i think that's a space that we have to be mindful of when we're having these kind of sort of like overall conversations about dei is that we have to kind of really break down into the smaller to build back up into a space of how do we make it equitable for everybody? 
Thank you. Yeah, I think that that that's it's a great answer. Um, certainly, I think it, it's enlightening in in terms of understanding the challenges because I think I'm sure that there's healthcare workers out there um, wanting to know that when you know, let's say you walk through that door and they're going to engage with you, where do they start the questions, right? What do they ask you? What shouldn't they ask you? Um, you know, are you like every other patient that's walked through there? Or are they supposed to see difference and therefore treat you differently? Mm. Yeah, I think, again, it's the unlearning of like what, like sometimes I always say when I see questions on things, like, why are you asking this question? What is the importance of this question? Right. And I think there's a lot of stuff in there that like, why are you asking the questions? Um, but it's also just impacted. Like, so if, if they see me, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, are you married? Well, that's that's an assumption that I'm married. Um, and then the second thing is like, oh, like, you know, what's your wife's name? Right. Because they're assuming that I am. So just unpacking just those little tiny things is like, you know, are you in a relationship that we should know about? And, you know, who is that with? I mean, it's yeah. the same question, but just done differently. And it's just about relearning conversations. So they can ask me the same questions as they would ask you or ask anybody else. But we learn to ask it in a way that is just, you know, and we can say more general, but just a way of asking, hey, tell me a little bit about you. Yeah. Or something that doesn't bring with it. Uh, presumptions or assumptions with it, yeah. right? You need the information. That, you know, do you have somebody to help get you get you home when you leave here, right? Um, yes. Right? But not necessarily assume. Do you have a spouse or do you have a spouse of a particular gender? Or family, even. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, no, I I appreciate that, Jake. Um, so I'm just wondering, is there anything else that you think that we should have a conversation about here or discuss that I haven't raised in a, in the course of our our talk so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is such an interesting topic, right? And, you know, I don't know what it's like to be cisgender. So I always have to take my space and be like, I wonder what it's like to not really understand all this from any perspective, <laughs> right? So I mean, there is a space, right? Because sometimes we just make the assumption of like, why can't you, why can't you people understand? Right? And it's like, well, because you've never been, our social media still plays into the typical, right? I mean, just look at it all the time. And so how would how do we as trans folks expect people just to completely understand? I think there's a space in there to start to have that space of like just being um, a good human being and like, go, oh, okay, like, you know, how could I understand this in a different way, right? Um, and even if I a hard time to understand that, whether, whether from the health profession or from a personal space to be like, okay, I'm, I'm not sure I understand However, you're asking me to see you and respect you in this way. I can do that. Yeah. Like, even that's the minimum level. Like, I can't expect you to understand how I feel. And I, I can't know how you feel to be able to match, you know? So um, I think there's a lot of space in there to, to really start that softer conversations around just, you know, have, having, you know, that humanality with people. And being okay to be like, okay, I don't understand, but I'm going to do my best. And, you know, let's let's keep working on this, right? Rather than just cutting everybody off of the knees and saying, oh, you know, we don't like you or this or that, right? Yeah, and I and I appreciate your uh, um, your own empathy and 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 capability of, of creating space for me and my own questions in this as well, and um, and being sensitive to that, but. Um, but I do hope that conversations like this and other people who listen to this will, you know, 
change or open their their minds to thinking about things differently or or creating space i think as much as anything right being honestly curious about the human beings that we interact with um and treating them with the respect as you describe yeah you know being transgender people have this space of like well you know they didn't know since they were two or you know i have folks i've worked with who are like you know 70 plus that went oh now I get it. So like we, you know, there's a space in there to unlearn all that sort of thing where the media gives us like, well, you've known since you were two years old. Not everybody does or not everybody has that space. So I think, yeah, just being able to give each other that space to understand and learn and conversation is never wrong. So I want to bring that up because you mentioned that asking questions, having conversations is the way to, to do that, you know, doing your own work and that kind of thing. Um, you know, being judgmental or saying, don't get it, don't care. That's where the, that is where we, we struggle with, right? That's where everybody does. So I think it's just really about being able to sit with your own, you said, sit with your uncomfortableness and be like, hmm, okay, where do, where, why am I uncomfortable in this? Yeah. Well, it's been very helpful. Um, and I think uh, the health system um, and the, the pride community are very lucky to have a spokesperson like yourself um, and to be able to share um, your stories and your, uh, your experience with all of us. So thank you. And thanks for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Well, take care, Jake. And I hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to the HQ and I'm Dale Sherback, your host. You can find this and other future episodes on the CHA Learning website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think, so please follow us on our other social media channels. Thanks for joining us in this discussion today. Please join us next time.